Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm Dr. Brad Starnes, and today we're continuing through the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, um, and looking at verses 17 through 21. Before we do, I want to tell you a story. Uh, when I was in the fourth grade, I went to a Christian school, and um, I had a teacher and she had a statue picture thing that sat on her desk. And it was carved into the, I guess it was some type of stone, the face of, of Jesus. But it was carved in a way that was, illusion, was an illusion of sorts. Anywhere you sat in the room, it looked like he was looking directly at you. And she would always look at that and say, Jesus is always watching. Well, <laughs> Jesus is always watching. Um, he, he is everywhere. He is omnipresent. Um, he is omniscient. He knows everything. Um, he sees everything. Um, now, I'm not suggesting this to be in a fear tactic uh, as the way that my teacher used it in the fourth grade, but that to tell you God is always watching. We, we live our lives before the face of a holy God. And there should be some fear and trembling involved in that. Coram Deo was the cry of the Protestant reformers and the phrase literally means before the face of God. And by this, they meant that everything we do, our entire lives, are before the watchful eyes and face of God our Father. There is no thought that He cannot search. There is no word that He does not hear. There is no deed that He does not see. We live each day, quorum Deo, before the face of God. And for that reason... I would hope that as a child of God, if you're truly converted, that you would desire to live your life before the face of God in a way that brings Him honor and glory and is pleasing to Him and not in a way that brings Him disappointment and shame and reproach. You should do this in a way that brings God glory. You live your life in a way that God approves and it brings you pleasure to please your father. My daughters, I have two young daughters. I have a five-year-old and a four-year-old. Every now and again, they will come to me and they will say, come see our room. We, we cleaned it. Now, without being asked, they just they, they want me to see their room. They, they clean their room. And I'll go in there, and the room will be clean, and I'll make a big deal about it. And they will just smile and laugh and jump up and down. It, it, they're seeking my approval because I'm their father. They love me, they, and I love them. And they want to do things that garner my attention and my approval in a way 
that is what believers should do when we realize that we're living before the face of God, Coram Deo, that we should live our lives in a way that brings the Father pleasure and is approved by Him. So with that in mind, let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. It says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I want to preach to you on this subject from the text. Quorum Deo, living before the face of God. Now, we want to live holy lives before the Lord. That's, that's the big idea. The, the key verse in this passage, be holy as I am holy. Okay. What then does living a holy life before the face of God require? Well, the text reveals three requirements to live a holy life before the face of God. First of all, it requires preparation of the mind. It said, gird up the loins of your mind. Second of all, it requires separation from the world. He said, be holy. And last of all, it requires consideration of the cross. Because Peter reminds us that one of the main reasons, if not the reason, we should desire to live holy and should therefore live holy is because of how costly our salvation was to Jesus, that we were not redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ. So... Number one in verse 13, living a holy life before the face of God requires preparation of the mind. Peter's described salvation in the previous verses and how, you know, the best is yet to come, essentially. And now he says, since we're saved, we should live a holy life before the face of, the, of God. He begins with this, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. Therefore, as in because of these things, we know therefore is a connecting word, so we must consider the previous statement and the post-statement surrounding this conjunction. He said, the angels desire to look into it. The prophets saw salvation from a distance. They gloried in it. They desired in it. And he says, therefore, 
gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. Now, the term gird up the loins is used in the idea of combat in ancient times. The men wore long robes with a belt around their waist, which made it hard to run or move around tactically. And so they would take all the excess material and gather it up in front. Then they would tuck it between their legs and wrap it back around their waist and tie it in a knot, essentially turning their robe into a pair of shorts for ease of movement and enable them to run. So the, the modern equivalent to this idea would be to take one's jacket off or to roll up one's sleeve to prepare for strenuous activity. So he, he's saying you must uh, gird up the loins of your mind. If we were trying to say this today, we may say, hey, you're going to have to roll your sleeves up, okay, to prepare one's mind for, court, for combat. Now, this presupposes something, doesn't it? That if you're saved, there is a battle to be had, and the battle takes place in the mind. Think about it. What, what What's the opposite of holiness? Well, I, sin. Where does sin start? The mind. And you say, well, I don't explain. Well, I, 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 it shouldn't be that hard. Before somebody tells a lie, they have to think in their mind about telling the lie. Before somebody commits adultery, they have to lust in their mind before they act on it. Before somebody steals a car, they have to think in their mind, I'm going to steal a car that doesn't belong to me. The battle for holiness takes place in the mind. And make no mistake, it is a battle. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. How do we prepare our mind, the preparation of the mind to be holy? Well, the mind is a leaky vessel. And so you have to prepare it continually. You have to constantly pour the things of God into your mind through the reading and the studying and the meditation of the Bible, through the listening of Christian music, through the uh, soaking up of, of good expository preaching. Uh, all of this, all of it. I don't just mean one part of it. I mean all of it. The music, the preaching, the church, all of it. The things of God. I mean the whole kit and caboodle. You need to live in that realm constantly and constantly put that stuff in your mind. Why? Because the mind's a leaky vessel and whatever gives, whatever is filled into the mind will flow out the rest of the body. And that's just a fact. If the mind's filled with things that are wicked, it's going to produce wickedness. The mind's filled with the things of God. It's going to produce godliness. Everything starts in the mind. And so to live a holy life before God, one must prepare their mind. Now, this is different. I think that's the nicest way of saying it from the Christianity we see today that's all 
emotionalism. It's all about your feelings, and they make things like, well, theology is not important as long as you love Jesus. Well, who's Jesus? He's the Son of God. You just did theology. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's this anti-intellectualism. But that could not be further from the Scripture or further from the first century church. This emotionalism-based uh, quasi-faith was alien to Christianity up until about 150 years ago. That that it's just you don't see anything like it in church history. Paul said, "Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus." The renewing of your mind, gird up the loins of your mind. We're not saying we need to make the faith strictly academic or a matter of intellect, but there is a matter of intellect involved. And I'm saying all that to say this, the mind needs to be used and filled and exercised with the things of God, primarily the Word of God. Because without that, you're not going to be able to live a holy life. It says to be sober. And we know what he's talking about. It's being sober-minded. Now, certainly, you can't be sober-minded if you're intoxicated, but that's not really in context what he's getting at. He, when he says sober, he, aware, a focused mind, to know what you believe, why you believe it, and to stand in that because it's a battle. Now, not only does our mind need to be focused and we we prepare it he he does a little bit more with that he says rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of jesus christ and so he says our, our mind needs to be rested on christ to meditate on christ to think about christ and the grace that's going to be fully revealed to us that we're going to Fully take part in when Jesus returns. Are you resting in the promise of Christ's return? Do you count him faithful or is your mind constantly in a tizzy of doubt, worry, and fear? To produce holiness, your mind needs to be stayed on Christ. Okay, all of that and more. When it is is encompassed when Peter says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Rest your hope fully on Christ. Second, if we're to live a holy life before the face of God, in verses 14 through 16, not only must we have preparation of the mind, but separation from the world. He says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. Obedience to God is separation from the world and vice versa. Now, what I mean by separation from the world, what is all this talk of former lust? Well, Peter is speaking to the fact that before these believers were converted, they walked in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling their sinful desires just like everyone else 
in the world. Notice it's past tense, former lust. He says, don't, don't return to the former ways of the world. Separate from them. Separate from them. Live differently. Yes, we don't have a choice but to live in the world, but we don't have to live of the world to live like the world. Separation is in mind here. Case in point, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He said, in the past, such were some of you. We're going to live holy lives. We've got to separate from the ways of the world, not go back to them, not be like the dog that returns to its vomit. Paul says elsewhere in, in the New Testament, come out from among them and be ye separate. Now, I'm not talking about isolation. I'm talking about separation. We don't need to be a cult and go live in a convent and don't talk to anybody that isn't a Southern Baptist or a independent Baptist or whatever you are, or a Christian, period. But we need to separate from them in the way that we live our lives. There are certain places we don't need to go. There are certain things we don't need to do. This isn't rocket science, and I think the common sense person could understand what I'm saying. But I'm not saying we isolate ourselves. Well, oh, I can't talk to you. You're not a Christian. Well, if that was the case, nobody would ever be a Christian because how shall they hear without a preacher you know what that involves? Talking. So what he's getting at here is separation from the world. Now, why do I say separation from the world? The word holy, in a very basic definition, means separate. God is separate from the world. He is better than the world. He is above. He is beyond. He is holy. He is separate. He's set apart. And so we are to live separated from the world, holy lives, lives that are consecrated, lives that are... Uh, capitulating to Christ instead of capitulating to the culture. Holy lives, separate, holy. Requires separation from the world. Now, in our day, let's be honest. Holiness is not the subject of much discussion in most churches. Let's be honest. Many of us would have to think really hard on the last time we heard a sermon on the subject of holiness or the idea that we're to live separate, sanctified lives. The point is this. We give no thought in our quorum, in our current time, that we are a quorum Deo, living before the face of God. The Reformers knew that. They knew that God is always watching and that everything they did and didn't do mattered. We live our lives so haphazardly and, and our Christian faith is, is such a, well, I'll just say it, it's such a small part of our lives in the first place that I think we need to remind ourselves to live holy before the face of the Lord because just like that little statue thing my teacher had God's always watching 
finally. Living holy lives before the face of God has three requirements. Number one, preparation of the mind, verse 13. Number two, separation from the world, verses 14 through 16. And finally, verse 17 through 21, it requires consideration of the cross. Peter gives a motivation to live holy, and it is based upon the fact of the cross with the idea that we should live holy because we were not redeemed with corruptible things but with the precious blood of Christ. In other words, you were bought with such a price, you need to live in a way that honors the price that was paid. When you have something expensive at home, you take care of it. Why? Because it costs a lot. Well, your life in Christ cost Christ his life. Let me say that again. Your life in Christ, your new life, your eternal life, your redeemed life, it cost Christ his life. We ought to live holy and live in a way that honors how much he paid for How much did he pay for us, Pastor? Everything he had. He went bankrupt for the broken. Well, I don't see that in the text. Well, you're not looking hard enough. He says in verse 18, knowing. Well, let me back up. Verse 17, part B. Conduct yourself. You know what conduct is, the way you live, the way you act. So you could say it this way. Act, live, throughout your time of your stay here, where? On earth, in fear. Well, why? Why should I walk around in fear and trembling? Holiness, the idea that God is always watching and I should live accordingly. Well, verse 18 answers, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless tradition, aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It costs God everything to save you. Act like it. That's, that's, if, I, if I can just put it in the, let's forget about the sermon outline, let's forget about the alliterated points, and let's just put it in plain English. It cost God everything to save you. Act like it. Living holy before the face of God requires consideration of the cross. Consider the price. If we take things and cultivate them and care for them that cost us a lot, why would we not live for Christ a holy life? When it cost him everything. We stand in freedom because Christ bore our wrath. What a price! What a price! The blood of God was spilled.
I think Isaac Watts captured it well when he wrote, See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. We're not simply motivated to holiness for fear, but because we realize the price that was paid for our freedom, and we ought to live our lives that honored that price. Peter finishes. He says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I read that, I think, no wonder the angels desire to look into this great salvation. No wonder the prophets pleaded and prayed and studied, trying to catch a glimpse of this glorious gospel. Now let us live lives worthy of our calling. Let us consider the cross as we live holy lives before the face of the living God. In conclusion, everything we do, say, or think is before the face of a watching, all-knowing God. Coram Deo, before the face of God. As His children, He calls us to live a holy life that honors Him and is a witness to the nation. This requires three things. Preparation of the mind, separation from the world, and consideration of the cross. God desires us to be holy because He is holy. How are you doing in these things? Be honest with yourself. Is your mind prepared by the Word and focused on the Lord? What do you fill your mind with each day? Have you left the sinful actions, places, and people in the past? Or do you find yourselves going back to the former lust? Or perhaps you have not yet, but the desire is burning within you. Flee to Christ. His face is always upon us. He calls us to holiness. Consider the cross when tempted to sin. So that you can live a holy life that honors God. As the old song says, take time to be holy, speak oft with the Lord. Coram Deo, living holy lives before the face of God. We keep reading in 1 Peter, and I hope you will as well, and we pick up next time. God bless you. Thank you.